Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour is here. I'll kick 360 underway from 6th and Peabody. Tuesday edition. 6th and Peabody, the home of Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. With Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Uh, we welcome all of you listening across the Outkick network, watching as well through the live stream. And we say hello to John McClain of uh, the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Official this weekend, if I have my dates correct, John McClain. Congratulations once again. Thank you, Jonathan. It is Saturday night at Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco. I'm proud to say that's my hometown. I'll be inducted as part of the only the second media class in the history of the Hall of Fame. I'll be one of eight writers who is in that Hall of Fame. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be really hard to do it there in my hometown in front of a lot of the people who helped me get this part, get to this point in my career uh, without getting emotional. I could imagine. Uh, have, is, is Get emotional. The, is the, yeah. Is the speech done? You know, I've, I've uh, been over to, I don't write things down. I never do, whether I'm eulogizing somebody or making a speech. I just, I have it in my head. And as long as I get the name straight, I'm good. We've got five minutes, supposedly. I'm going to try not to take up more than that. Our introduction uh, is three to five minutes. They're hoping to knock it out in two hours. There's eight of us, including the late Frank Gleber, who was the Cowboys' first broadcaster. And the others, by the way, Brad Sham, the Cowboys' longtime voice of the Cowboys, Bill Mercer, who's been in the Metroplex for decades, and Eric Nadell, longtime voice of the Rangers, and then the writers are Randy Galloway, longtime columnist in the Metroplex, Shereen Williams of Fort, of, uh, Fort Worth Star-Telegram, and now Pro Football Talk, me and Denny Freeman, longtime sports editor for the Associated Press in Dallas. So everybody but moi is from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, so I'm representing the rest of Texas. John McLean with us, and you can join him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. John, I'm sure you thought when Deshaun Watson got traded, you didn't have to answer any more Deshaun Watson questions, but I've got another one for you. The league is set to meet with him 
Is your understanding that when the league is about to meet with you, that's a sign they're wrapping things up with their investigation? Chad, like I think it's just the next step in the process, and it's a long process to go. They've had almost 15 months to conduct their investigation. It's not like they've had nothing to do during that period. They're investigating a lot of people in the NFL. So what happens, the league meets with him. They, they keep Goodell out of it for a point. And then they go back, and an independent arbitrator, um, uh, I'm sorry, a member of Goodell's staff who's been appointed looks at all the evidence and they make a decision. Then Watson's people will appeal it. And the appeal goes to Roger Goodell and his people, which doesn't seem right. And then they'll make a determination. Most people think that he'll get a maximum of eight, a minimum of six. He may appeal it, knock it off a couple of games like a lot of players do. Ben Roethlisberger was not two. Ezekiel Elliott, I think, was knocked down two. So I think it's going to happen right before the season. I think the Browns have been preparing for it. They have Jacoby Brissett. A lot of people think, well, Baker Mayfield could play. No, that'd be awkward. They don't want him stepping in there and, and somehow screwing up uh, the early part of their season, and that's why they signed Brazette. And the Texans have their number one pick, so they're hoping he's suspended a lot and that Brazette plays terribly and that it'll knock down the Browns' record, helping the Texans get a high draft choice. There's some discussion that they could also be involved with Nick Foles uh, if they're preparing for another veteran to come in and back up Jacoby Brissett, if that's the case. John, there's no coincidence that the league scheduled – Cleveland at Houston in December in, in preparation for any possible suspension that may be coming his way. They're going to try to guarantee that Watson's starting that game on the road. Jonathan, I remember when it first came out, they said, no, that's purely a coincidence, yeah, which yeah. is a big, fat lie. They did it December 4th because they wanted him to be available. Now, we don't know. He's not going to get suspended for the season. Nobody has said that. But uh, it's interesting. I was asked down here on my shows about uh, Watson and the Browns being a primetime game. I said that game means something to Houston and it means something to Cleveland, but Cleveland has many more opponents that it's a bigger game. So they'd be more than likely to put them on a primetime game as it is. They didn't put the Browns on many primetime games because they don't know exactly how long Watson's going to be out. And I can tell you this, next year they'll probably be on the maximum because they are a popular team with a wide fan base and a great quarterback. And at some point he's going to have all this behind him and he can focus on playing the way he did his last season in 2020 when he was magnificent and he didn't even have DeAndre Hopkins. Drew Brees was a, was a big get for NBC a year ago coming out of retirement, and now he's uh, gone, 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 uh, seemingly because he wanted to be in, in the booth as a color analyst and, and didn't get great reviews for his one game. I don't know how he did on Notre Dame, um, but are, are you surprised that he goes from a guy who bumps Rodney Harrison out of Football Night in America uh, to a guy who's no longer with NBC, and what do you think's next? Paul, he was there for one reason only, his name and his career and his statistics, and he's a great guy, but that doesn't mean he's going to be a good analyst, whether it's on games or in the studio. But because he's breezed, 
I think he'll land on his feet somewhere. And in a playoff game, people said he was not good. And I think he'll get another chance because he is one of the most popular players in, in NFL history, who all fans like. This thing about him coming back at 43, coming off surgery, no way Drew Brees is coming back. He had all kind of issues throwing the ball at the end. They had to shorten their offense. That's not happening. Plenty of networks, though, with with options uh, for games, right? Like he he will get he, he'll find a landing spot if that's what he wants to do. Unless he wants thirty seven point <laughs> five million a year, you know, then he's not going to get it, and and he could end up doing something with Amazon. From what I understand, Amazon's going to make that a day long process. They're going to have multiple pre game shows, post game shows. And you know they're going to spend a lot of money. So the more personalities they can get on there, the better. He still does Notre Dame games for NBC. And I think the NFL will find a spot for him, but it will not be on one of their top teams. Was Watson known for uh, taking the, the Houston players to the Bahamas like he will with the Browns this weekend? It's interesting what he did here. Now, this Deshaun likes to travel the world. And in his first couple of off seasons, he was riding camels and he was doing all kinds of things uh, in the Middle East. And I think he went to Asia and Europe and he got a lot of attention and we liked asking him about it. He had some great stories and what he would do before the 2020 season, he would travel around the country going to his receivers and a couple of them would follow him, and he'd go to Arizona, Los Angeles, and South Florida, and probably hanging out in South Florida is what got him getting that itch to be traded to Miami. So he would go to them. Then they would all come in. I always thought it was just receivers. It was not the entire offense, but, of course, he wasn't making $230 million guaranteed uh, as he is now. And he was always very generous with his money and his teammates. That's one reason they respected him and liked him so much. And, in fact, of course, he's a great quarterback. But no trips to the Bahamas. I'm not, I'm not uh, doing this as a Traylon Burks thing. He, he was out of shape on the first day, didn't make it through the workout. But I want to spin off of there because you covered the league for so long. Back at a time where training camp was about a guy getting in shape. What is the worst shape you ever saw a guy arrive in? And what kind of hell did he have to endure to get where he needed to be? Oh, there have been guys that show up, and especially if they came from the West Coast or the Northeast and they grew up there and they uh, played collegially there, then they would come here to this heat humidity and they'd run and they would throw their guts up and they'd have to be pulled off to the side. And one time they had a guard, David Quisenberry, who was from California, and he came in and he started throwing his guts up and they thought he's just out of shape and turned out he had leukemia. And I never forgot that. They saved his life, I think, right there. But my favorite story about the off-season program was in 1970, I think it was 80, in the off-season program, they would make the players run a mile. They wanted to see what kind of conditioning they ran. And uh, Earl Campbell couldn't finish the mile. And so the media all went to Bum Phillips and, and just incredulous that Earl Campbell could just lead the league in rushing two years in a row, named MVP, couldn't finish the mile. And Bum Phillips took a chaw. He chewed on it a minute, spit the back of juice and said, well, when it's third in a mile, we won't give it to him. <laughs> 
Oh, that's a great story. John McClain with us. Uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, through Ian Rappaport, is getting word out. He's planning on showing up to Cleveland Browns training camp. This is the right move if he wants to be moved. Somebody said, well, he's part of the offense. Why didn't he go to the Bahamas? And I said, that'd be like a turd in a punch bowl. You yeah. talk about out of place. My God, awkward to have him there, especially when a lot of his teammates don't even like him. But he has to show up. If he doesn't, he gets fined. And you can't pay, you can't have the team pay your fine. Last year, what happened with Watson? We were people, national media was in. It was a circus that first day. And he reported the night before. And then when he came out to walk on the practice field, they came out of the stadium. They walked over the bridge on Kirby Drive. And we saw him walking up. And they had every camera on him. And he walked by. And then he came out wearing a typical red vest that they put on the quarterbacks. And he came out, threw a few passes and warm-ups. And then sometime during walkthrough, they'd say, Deshaun, do you mind standing over there at safety? No, I'll be happy to. And most of the time, he sat in the, stood in the backfield with his teammates coming over to talk to him. And it was very unusual. But I'm guessing that was what will happen with Baker Mayfield unless they're able to move him before that. Is there anything like – it was clear Deshaun Watson didn't want to be there. He was going through the motions, so he didn't receive that fine, and the Texans were okay with that too with how they handled it. Is there anything like if the Browns said, Baker, you're not practicing, and he says, I'm healthy, I'm practicing, is I mean, is there, yeah, is there anything based on Baker's reaction to that if he arrives with the $18 million that I believe is injury guaranteed? Um if he, if he decides to practice, is there anything keeping him from practice if he's healthy? No. They can put, he, they can put him as a fourth-string quarterback and have him throw to fourth-string receivers because they're not going to play him. And as long as he's there and doing what he's supposed to do, showing up at practice, going to meetings, going getting his conditioning in, in the weight room, he is fulfilling his contract. That's what happened here. And people are like, they didn't want to give Watson reps because they had a rookie, Davis Mills, and a new veteran, Tyrod Taylor. They needed the reps. And so uh, people said, well, why don't you force Watson to play? Well, if you force him to play and he tears an ACL for the third time in his career, how stupid would that be when you're trying to get draft choices from him? So they went by where it never got ugly. Both sides handled things. Only one time did anything controversial happen, and it was no big deal. Watson finally looked over and said, why do y'all keep shooting those cameras on me? And it's the only time I ever saw him get frustrated. And so it's just something, if they're going to do that with Mayfield, he's going to have to do it because he wants to get he wants to get not get hurt. Because if he gets hurt, then he's not going to be traded. You know he wants to play with another team because he got a chance to make a lot of money, got that big chip on his Right shoulder, his left shoulder has been surgically repaired. I would want a hungry Baker Mayfield this season, especially if I'm Seattle and I'm loaded at skill positions. Did that turn into a conversation with Deshaun Watson, John, about why the cameras were on him? And and did people eventually take the cameras off him because it became a boring (laughs) non-story? Nope. (laughs) He walked the same trail. He walked the same way. He looked the same every day, but everybody shut and put it on the website immediately. They could have taken a picture the day before, the day before that, day before that. And then when camp ended, and I still think they ended it early, 
we couldn't watch anymore. So we didn't see him again unless we happened to be getting our uh, our uh, COVID-19 test. And as we're walking on the bridge over to the trailer, we'd see him out there working out by himself with one of the low-level coaches. So, John, Paul, I know, wrote about this at Outkick.com, but we spent some time at the end of last week going through some of the what we liked most about the team schedule announcements last week. Was there anything in particular that jumped out to you either from the league with the NFL Network coverage of it, the leaks that were out, or a specific team's unveiling of the schedule that you liked? Chargers. They, they did an Amen. ingenious job. It was so good. Peter King wrote about it Monday. Albert Breer wrote about it Monday. And I thought, well, what's the big deal? And, uh, and it was – I would encourage anybody – to go and look at what the Chargers did to announce their schedule. A lot of teams are doing it, trying to be more creative. I don't really know why, unless they're just trying to get clicks. I just want to know. First thing every year I want to know, I wanted to know, and I still do, when do the Texans play at Nashville? Because that's always my favorite trip because Nashville's my home away from home. Then who's the first game? Who's the first road game? Who's the last game? Do they have any primetime games? Things like that. And uh, But uh, some of them really spent a lot of money, put a lot of time and effort into the, the big schedule reveal, uh, reveal. And I'll say this about the NFL. The NFL does an incredible job of promotion to turn a schedule, which used to be announced right before the draft when everybody – is pumped about the draft. We talked about it for one day. Then we went back to who's going to be the top pick. Now they've made it such a such a big event. And this all happened because of the NFL Network. Paul, you were there and I was there. We were at the Combine. NFL Network's created. Nobody really knows what it is. And we watched it slowly take the Combine into a monumental uh, performance over multiple days. And that was ingenious. And that took the combine into a different stratosphere. Once they moved the draft and went to cities like Nashville, which I still think was the best. I, I was expecting more out of Las Vegas. I don't know if I was expecting showgirls or what. I just expected more. And, and Nashville, to me, did the best job and hit the most people. And um, they had made it a spectacle, and the ratings are higher. And, and at some point, you know, they'll probably make it a national TV event when some players like the first pick signs. Like right now, we get a, a, a thing on social media. Aiden Hutchinson signed his contract. Well, why don't you put it on the NFL network when the top three guys make a big event about it? They're going to find more things. I can't wait till Brady plays in Germany. And uh, in, the old, uh, in the old NFL Europe, the most successful franchise was Frankfurt. Oliver Luck, former Oiler quarterback, was the general manager, and they had so many Americans from the bases, service bases, and a lot of people had grown up watching the Super Bowl. They would sell out. They were such a success, they made Oliver commissioner of NFL Europe. And so based on everything he used to tell me about the fanaticism for the NFL there, I think whatever they do on that game in Germany, they should make it the premier pr- premier game that weekend. Did uh, did Oliver win his lawsuit against Vince McMahon and the XFL? I never heard that of hadn't been 
that that's because Jonathan it hadn't been settled oh, yet. Okay. They're yeah, still fighting over that. That's going to be a while. <laughs> or a cell phone will it, come soon. A lot of it had to do with cell phone. <laughs> a cell phone? Yeah, it had to do with the cell phone. What was on the cell phone or the cell phone? No, the fact itself? that the the fact that he didn't want that he didn't want to pay for it. And it, <laughs> he said that Oliver had rung up too big of bills on the cell phone. Now here's Vince McMahon, who's supposed to be worth billions. And I'm thinking if you're gonna be that petty that the guy rang up a bill too much, that was shows you how preposterous that that lawsuit is. He owed Oliver money. And he said, well, he violated his contract. And one of the reasons was he spent too much on his cell phone. John McLean with us. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. Coming up, we discuss Jerry Jones and the value of the Cowboys. We're in a recent interview. He said 10 billion. 10 up. 10 up, yeah. Uh, We'll get into that. Uh, Doug Peterson attempting to restore the trust within the Jacksonville Jaguars locker room with the coaching staff after the Urban Meyer fiasco. We'll discuss Kenny Pickett and Big Ben and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we'll also get into Zach Wilson and a description made by his head coach that normally you don't want to be described uh, with this word, but somehow this is taken as a compliment. We'll, we'll lead with this with John McClain next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. He looks beefy in a good way. That's what New York Jets head coach Robert Sala said about his quarterback, Zach Wilson. Outkick 360 rolls on. John McClain with us. John, I've never heard the term beefy be used as a compliment, but in this case, here's the former BYU quarterback going into year number two, and apparently he looks the part for Coach Robert Sala. I guess when I'm called beefy, I should take it as a compliment, right? <laughs> yeah. Beefy. That's you're just, you're, just called a, you're called a beefcake, John. That's different than, than beefy. That's how you're described. And this Thank is, you, John. Like, yes. I, <laughs> this is, by the way, his focus was to restrict a, uh, have a very healthy diet this offseason. He wanted to go about, you know, uh, reshaping and, and forming his body in the right way for more durability. And the compliment by his head coach is he looks beefy. I'm like, I'm just, I'm thinking like, why does, what is that word of all words come to your mind you get, to describe your quarterback? If you said beefier, we've had a lot of beefed beef, up. We've had a lot of beef talk today on the show. We really have. Already, What's yeah. your favorite uh, secondary cut of meat, John? We discussed this earlier. Well, I like, I like uh, ribeye first. And second, I'd like a New York strip, and you guys are making me hungry by bringing it up. And by the way, during the break, I love the live shot of Sixth and Peabody. That's Atta where boy. people ought to be. That's a whole lot of fun there, and I can't wait to come up. Yeah. Um, first of all, I've never heard it. If, if I've ever heard it, it's been about linemen. It's yes. not a compliment. Instead of, you know, he's a fat ass. He's, uh, he's, he's, 
He's beefy. Yeah. And uh, it's a polite way of saying it. So in Zach Wilson's case, what he needed most besides natural maturity between a first and second season, he needed help. He needed help in the line. He needed help at receiver. And they seemed to have worked hard to, 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 uh, give him some advantages he didn't have last season, but they're still the Jets. I think they're still going to be one of the worst teams in the league. I have no clue what he's going to do. And I find it very interesting. Say teams like the Jets, the Bears, the Texans, who are going in with second-year quarterbacks, who they hope are going to be better, but what if they're not that much better and they get a chance to draft C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young next year? Do you take an elite talent over your guy? Do you draft a quarterback high for the second year in a row? Texans took Mills in the third round. So next year when the quarterback draft's going to be a lot better, it looks like some of these guys are under a lot of pressure. Kenny Pickett being another one with the Steelers to really do well this season to show enough potential where their teams don't have to try to get perhaps generational talents. Uh, Kenny Pickett, uh, I know, received a call from Big Ben. Uh, speaking of the the pressure he's under, Roethlisberger's reached out to him. I know there's another report about some bad blood between Roethlisberger and the Steelers as things ended, uh, but he still picked up the phone and called the new franchise quarterback, uh, who, you're right, Pickett's going to face a lot of pressure, but uh, how much does it help him that it's in Pittsburgh? Well, it is, and he was great at Pitt. Everybody loves the guy. It's going to be a grace period. You know, they brought in uh, Trubisky for a reason. Uh, maybe Pickett starts right away. Maybe it's into the season. But the fact he is so beloved there, I think he'll have a much longer grace period than, say, Trubisky does. And I look for Pickett to be starting by the halfway point of the season. Uh, Big Ben, they, you know, it, that was smart of him to do to help him out. I'm sure they know each other since those facilities yeah. are right there together. There's one entrance to the Steelers and one entrance to the Panthers. And I read a story that every time Pick, Pickett said he went in to the Panthers' entrance, he wondered what it would be like to go into the other entrance as a member of the Steelers, and now he knows. But uh, Big Ben, I think, is a very class thing for him to do, let him know he's there if he needs him. And you know he's going to need him because Ben went through, what, 16 years, something like that? Yes. Uh, Jerry Dulac is the one who said um, that he he, fe- he would – the quote was, I would say it's very safe to assume that whenever he was asked if things ended with bad blood between Roethlisberger and the Steelers. If that's the case, John – Surface level, it was very hard to figure out if there was tension between the franchise and Roethlisberger because I, th- I thought in towards fact, the end of the well, season, they, they did a nice job of managing all that. And Jerry Dulac has covered that team for decades. And if he says something like that, people pay attention. But it didn't end well in Dallas with Troy Aikman or San Francisco with Steve Young because they had to retire because of concussions. They didn't want to retire. And when a team tells you you have to, you might be some bad blood. And that's what happened to Roethlisberger. They told him he's going to have to retire. And last year he took, I think, a $5 million pay cut, not that he couldn't handle it. And I'm sure there was, because anytime a guy has to go before he wants to go, there's going to be some bad blood. But the fact that he reached out to 
Kenny Pinkett tells me it's not going to be something like Terry Bradshaw, who wouldn't go back to Pittsburgh for years. He hated Chuck Noll. He went back, I believe he went back for the first time when Mike Webster was honored for going into the Hall of Fame, his center, through all those four Super Bowl victories. There's certainly a lot more to Bill Belichick's success than Tom Brady. But here we are a couple of years removed from Tom Brady. And I think it's fair to, to ask, like, is he going too far with, you know, judge coaching, uh, being that guy that's hands-on with Mac Jones, who's a, a uh, special teams guy. Matt Patricia, defensive guy, comes out now as the guy who seems to be managing the offensive line. Uh, what do you think of these, uh, you know, good coach is a good coach, but also, you know, you like your guys to have some experience working on the side of the ball that they're on, at least generally speaking. And he's got, you know, two of the, the biggest coaches on his team on offense who haven't worked on offense. And there are two failed head coaches. I'll guarantee you, Matt Patricia gives advice to the defense and I guarantee he's getting involved in the game plan, not putting it together, but he's there. And Judge, you know, he's a special teams guy. I don't think Belichick would do that if he didn't think they could take the bull by the horns because, you know, he wants to prove in the worst way. He was just as responsible for those Super Bowls as Tom Brady, and the only way for him to prove it is to turn it around and win. Whether Mac Jones is the guy or not, we don't know. Top to bottom, he was the most successful rookie quarterback, but he had a really good running game and a really good defense, and I'm guessing he'll have those again. And uh, But you go from Josh McDaniels, who've been doing that for so long, and then you bring in a guy like Joe Judge, and he's going to be doing it. I can see where a lot of people have their doubts. And if Mac Jones doesn't progress like they want him to, everybody's going to blame Joe Judge. The Dallas Cowboys are the most valuable franchise in the NFL. Forbes always has them atop their list. Would they bring $10 billion, John, if they were for sale? Oh, I think without a doubt. They're the most noticeable, popular, hated franchise. It's like Jerry Jones said, bad pub is better than no pub. Well, he ought to know he's gotten enough of it, especially this offseason. And it keeps him in the news. I remember one time Randy Galloway, he's going to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame Saturday. He was a columnist for Morning News in Dallas and the Star-Telegram in Fort Worth. And he told me, he said, I have written every negative thing I can about that man. And every time I see him, he comes up and greets me like I'm his long lost brother. How can you not like a guy like that? So Jerry Jones, as far as I know, has never complained about anything, any negative publicity. I was with him when they were having training camp in Wichita Falls, Texas, in his room when he had plastic surgery and he lost a lot of on his face and he'd lost a lot of weight and the morning news top of one a was Jerry from before and Jerry now. And it was a whole lot different. He never said a word because they were at the top of the most popular paper in the Metroplex. He did it. He did this interview with Peter King and he, before he answered, he said, let me make this very clear. I will never do it. I will never sell the Cowboys ever. But there was a report that um, you know Forbes has them valued at six and a half billion. Uh, another analyst said that they could pull eight and a half, and Jerry said, as Paul said, previous segment, ten up. He's going to get ten plus 
um, continuing to push the bar higher for the franchise. And what an investment. And what did he pay? Three thirty. Uh, if that the, he, he paid one one eighty for the stadium, and everybody said, "Why in the world would you want that stadium? It's a money losing proposition." And I think the whole package was like four hundred million, and people told him he's nuts. And nobody values the Broncos at four and a half billion, but that's what they're going to be selling for. It was thirty three years ago when he purchased the team. And uh, whenever we had him on a few years back, John, I asked him if he was nervous whenever he pulled the trigger on that price tag because at the time, it was a risk. They were losing a million dollars a day, It was a risk. And he said no. (laughs) He said he was not nervous whatsoever with the vision that he had for where he was going to take it. Well, I don't know if I fully 100% believe that he wasn't nervous when stroking that check for $150 million for the site alone, but... Man, oh man, oh man, has it paid off in a, in a mega way. Because not only does he have the most valuable franchise, he also has the most pull uh, politically within that ownership group. When you think about what he means for the broadcast networks, uh, for NFL Network, uh, for everything. Sponsorship. Everything. Yeah, I mean, uh, owning 100% of the stadium where they play now. I mean, all of that's incredible. His practice facility, which is incredible, um, cost more than the stadium. And one of the things when he came there, he was treated terribly, terribly in the Metroplex. They act like he's some AC fell off a turnip truck coming down from Arkansas, headed down to South Texas. And he never complained, never said a word about it. Just went about his business at first. The NFL thought he's nuts. They didn't like his accent. They didn't like his boldness. Now they embrace every single word that comes out of his mouth because he's made them all a lot of money. Well, uh, Doug Peterson, just playing off of what you just said, he wants the Jacksonville Jaguars players to embrace everything that he says this upcoming season where he says there's a lot of healing that has to go on within our organization with what Urban Meyer did. Uh, And I'm paraphrasing that part, but here's the quote. I I do believe there has to be some kind of healing with the situation and everything that transpired last year because it's just there's a lack of trust that was broken, I think. Um, And he goes, for me, it's about gaining the trust back, and they have to see it through me. They have to see the transparency, the honesty. Um, What Peterson's saying is he has to be as transparent as he's ever been throughout his entire career as a coach. And there's really, uh, I won't say there's no margin for error with that because you're allowed to change your mind, but he's going to have to do some extra explaining on every decision that he's making with players and keep up front and honest about where he's headed in the direction of the roster. While he's making a point with his hands, he can wear that big gaudy Super Bowl ring, which is nothing Urban Meyer had. I think players today, they let things go in one ear and out the other. As long as they're getting paid, that's what they want. They want to get paid, and then they want to win a ring. And I think Doug Peterson's got some credibility because of what he did at Philadelphia. But uh, you can't, you know, you got to be honest. You know, it doesn't matter if you make them mad. doesn't matter if you hurt their feelings. But if you're honest, they can't accuse you of being a liar like they do Urban Meyer. And so I think Peterson's in a great situation. A team nobody expects anything from. Had number one pick two years in a row. Great young quarterback if he can coach him and get the best out of him.
but he's in so much better shape than Urban Meyer was at this time last year, which, of course, I think it turned out to be one of the biggest disasters in NFL history. Can they make it work with Trent Baalke, they being Peterson and Baalke, because no one wanted to go work with Trent Baalke in Jacksonville. And he just got to hire uh, a lieutenant that's one of his guys from San Francisco, too, so clearly he's got some power. Everybody gave Jim Harbaugh all the credit when they went to the Super Bowl San Francisco and lost to Baltimore, but Trent Baalke had something to do with that. Maybe he learned from the mistakes he made with the 49ers, and he's going to be a better general manager. But if it doesn't work out with Peterson and they show some substantial improvement, like winning five or six games, I could see Baalke being out next year. You, you said uh, – I can't remember what we talked about. Or, oh, the, the schedule. You said the idea that they didn't factor in Deshaun Watson uh, in, into how they put Cleveland on, uh, on the national schedule is a joke, a lie, a lie, a lie. Uh, bigger, bigger lie here. Uh, Roger Goodell kept saying that Stan Kroenke purchasing this land in L.A. back when the Rams were, were wary and St. Uh, not the Rams were wary. St. Louis was wary. This could be a Walmart out there. Yeah. And he kept saying, Oh, he invests in land for all kinds of purposes. Who knows what he's doing. And, and the, and the newspaper in St. Louis has done a great job turning up some documentation that makes it very clear. They knew exactly from the start what he was doing. Uh, I, I won't ask you how bad the league looks because it's very clear. The league was lying, but, uh, what what kind of legal trouble might they be in here as as uh, as things go on? Well, they almost gave them up billion dollars. I don't think there's going to have to pay any more money. I think anytime they say they wanted to try to sue them, the NFL's armed with the the best and wealthiest law firms in the country. And you're talking about transparency. The NFL doesn't know how to spell transparency they wouldn't know how to find it they wouldn't know how to find it in the dictionary and if anybody thinks anything else they haven't paid much attention to the national football league through the decades john finally uh sean mcveigh is already starting to openly campaign that they they hope to re-sign odell beckham jr i don't know what the timetable is because his injury took place in the super bowl um but does it make in all likelihood, the most sense that he ends up back with the Rams in 2022? Plus, he goes to the Saints where he can be hanging out with Tyron Matthew and uh, Jarvis Landry, his close friend. But if I'm here and I want a chance to get another ring and I love playing in L.A. and I'm not going to be ready till about the quarter to a halfway through the season, I'm staying for the familiar. I know my coaches, my yeah. quarterback, my teammates. I love L.A., so I expect him to stay there. I don't think Sean McVay would campaign as much and as loudly as he has been if he didn't think there was a pretty good chance he was coming back. One of the quietest signings of the offseason has been Allen Robinson to the L.A. Rams. Very quiet. You know, pairing very him with Cooper Cup and then the potential of getting Odell back and then having they, – they now have the receiving core where they can wait on him and he can do the exact same thing that he did for them last year, which is come in around November, December and get ready for a playoff run. And they go from Robert Woods to Allen Robinson, which yeah. is a pretty good trade-off. John, thank you as Allen. always. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, Allen Robinson's got to feel like he died and went to heaven. (laughs) He's Jacksonville, Chicago. Now he's in L.A. with a defending Super Bowl champion. Guys, thank you very much. Paul, Jonathan, Chad Lack, thank you very much. Enjoy. Thank you. Congrats, Hall of Famer. John is headed to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame this Saturday. 
Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Coming up, are the A's intentionally tanking attendance numbers? We'll explain why that theory is out there and if we believe it. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up, a Brady roast, and the Lakers are asking their coaching candidates one big question. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Are the A's tanking stadium attendance on purpose? They, they have set record lows um, for home attendance. They were doing that you know, in, in back in April for their first series where their, their record low of 3,700 fans lasted for about 24 hours <laughs> because then they reset that at 2,400 the day after. Um, they have about as many cats in that stadium as they do fans. One cat for every fan. Um, it's crazy. Uh, but... Chad, you were reading up on this and how they're attempting to not really sell tickets right now. Yeah, there's a story uh, at The Athletic. So 8,789 is the attendance per game so far for the A's. Uh, And that is paid attendance. That is not people walking into the stadium. So the actual attendance is lower than that number of paid attendance. But the owner spoke for this story and said, no, we're – let me see here. It says we – We've used the term rebuilding, but we've spent all of our payroll in an effort to respect the fact that we have to field a Major League Baseball team. Uh, That's what Billy Bean said about their moves to trade Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, other stars from their team, clearly blowing things up from a salary perspective, and they're they're not very good, even though they're hovering around 500 right now. But the owner, uh, when contacted about this, are you basically Rachel Phelps from Major League is the comparison. You know, she was trying to lose as many games as possible, make the team awful in Cleveland so she could move the team to Miami. That was the plot of the movie Major League. People are accusing Oakland's ownership of doing the same in order to move to Vegas or force the hand of the city to get what they want with a waterfront stadium. And the response from ownership is simply, we're spending millions on trying to get a water, waterfront park built with the city. So we are invested. In our fans. Not just millions, billions. Now, nothing about, well, well it'll m- cost millions, millions in legal fees and things going on with the city just trying to get it approved to do it is what he's saying. Um, the problem with this is, though, when you really look into it, there were season ticket holders that were contacted, said first time in 20 years they've been a season ticket holder. No one contacted them to renew this season. They eliminated a fan area that you could buy a membership to and go for every game that you wanted. That was popular with fans in years past in left field. They've removed that this year. I mean, it looks like the A's are simply putting a team on the field with no work around game days, no effort to market the games for people to go to it. They have to play a game at home, so they'll play those games at home, and everything is moving towards we're either getting this, everything we want from the city to build this waterfront park and remain in Oakland, or they're gone to Vegas. Well, I think I kind of respect this to a degree. They're not putting any money into the ballpark, nor should they. 
because it's an absolute dump with overflowing toilets and constant problems. And if you're not putting any money into the ballpark, how long do you going to say to people, come see us in this ballpark? It's almost an insult to say to people, come see it, especially if a product's not that good. And so I respect them not going to, the, to people and saying, come, come to this dump, come to this place with bathrooms that don't work and concession stands that we don't have workers for because we're not investing anything in it. So I, 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 they generally have a pretty good product. Right now they're 15 and 23, which isn't good for them, and it isn't good in baseball. They're last in their division. But what they're saying is we're putting all our energies into this Howard project. We want to be in Oakland. We're the last team standing here. We're trying to keep this a major league market. If we can't pull it off, we can't pull it off, but we're going to die trying, and we're the last team that's dying trying. Everybody else is left. But we can't, in good faith, ask you to come out to this dump anymore, and we're not putting any more money into it. Our money's going into trying to, our last-ditch yeah. effort. Well, here is the, the quote from A's president, Dave Cavill, who said, I know some people think it's the movie Major League, but it's not. We wouldn't be spending $2 million a month just trying to get our waterfront ballpark approved. If we weren't serious about staying in Oakland, well, they're, two they're, million a month to try to get it approved. They're spending. They're, they received uh, one check mark recently within the last couple of weeks. There's the conservation uh, committee for the Bay Area that approved them for their their waterfront area, that Howard Terminal area. Uh, that's just one of several hurdles they've got to get over. Over uh, in total, this is like a twelve billion dollar plan. The seats itself will be cut in half. It's a 35,000-seat stadium. Right now, they could seat 64,000. Um, and this is a major also, redevelopment downtown thing, yeah, not but, just the But stadium. keep in mind, uh, the, the Bay Area has to play this safe, too, because the A's are also talking with um, the, the gaming, uh, gaming and leisure properties in Las Vegas. That, that group owns Tropicana Hotel on this Vegas Strip, and they're trying to put a Major League Baseball stadium on the Strip. And the A's, just like a lot of teams, would love to move to Vegas, just like the Raiders did. So, you know, the, the A's in some ways are playing both sides of this and using Vegas as leverage, or is it the other way around? I'd be sad for Oakland if they lose them because I, I lived there, I covered the Raiders for a year, and these fans are super, super passionate. And for that city to wind up with zero, with the Warriors going across the bay, and with the, with the Raiders gone be a, a second time and losing the A's and coming up zero, that would suck. What the Lakers are asking all of their coaching candidates and a Tom Brady roast next.